It's Curious City, where we take your questions about Chicago and the region and investigate, report, explore from WBEZ. Hey, I'm reporter Monica Eng, and I recently went out to Winnemac Park on Chicago's northwest side with question asker Barb Carney, because over the years, Barb's heard some intriguing stories about the place from German-American neighbors. They said it used to be flower fields and a pickle farm. That would have been cucumbers, I'm sure. (laughs) That's right. They told her this neighborhood full of schools, tire shops, and gas stations was once a giant pickle and flower farm. Over the decades, these stories took root in Barb's imagination until she asked us... What parts of Chicago were commercially farmed and what was raised just before becoming residential? Well, the short answer is a lot. By the mid-1800s, Chicago had hundreds of small farms growing stuff like cabbage, turnips, and potatoes to feed its growing European immigrant population. And the city got good at it. So people were producing for the city, and then they started exporting. That's Chicago State University professor Daniel Block, and you heard him right. Chicago became an ag powerhouse, not in spite of its industry and trade, but because of it. Because of all those things that made us the trading town, we were also a very good place to export. Here's what he means. The city got famous for industry and stockyards because it hosted huge trading markets and had this great transportation and lots of workers. All this helped the ag industry, too. Plus, Chicago had great soil. Block and North Central College professor Ann Keating told me about the city's biggest crops. There was a lot of flowers that were grown in Bowmanville, often in greenhouses. There are claims that Chicago is the celery capital of the nation. Cucumbers for pickles. The Dutch, they're going to really get into onions. So yes, Chicago was the hog butcher to the world. But I'm going to tell you how we became a pickle powerhouse, the first city of flowers, a greenhouse giant, and the heart of American celery. First up, celery. Why celery? Food historian Bruce Craig says it was like the kale of the 19th century. And it was promoted by every health food guru as good for you, particularly since they were very interested in chewing. This got people to buy celery vases. Yeah, etched crystal vases just to serve celery. They also went gaga for celery tonics that promised to cure such 19th century ailments as rheumatism, biliousness, and dyspepsia. So Chicago farmers were like, let's take advantage of the celery thing, because we've got great transportation, plenty of workers, and even the right soil for it. As Block explains... Celery was connected with Lakeview Township. Which, at the time, stretched all the way from Fullerton to Devon along the lakefront, which meant sandy soil. And everyone knows... Celery likes sandy environments. That kind of makes sense. But it only made sense for a few decades. After a while, lakefront land got expensive. So it got cheaper to grow celery in southwest Michigan and later California. But celery stuck around in one important way. A true Chicago hot dog is never complete without a final whoosh of celery salt. Next course, yet another hot dog topping. It may be hard to believe, but in the 19th century, Chicago hosted at least three national pickle brands based around farms. Why pickles? For one, easy export shipping, plus lots of labor. 
But Chicago also boasted a salt processing industry, and you need a lot of salt to make pickles. The farm Barb heard about was undoubtedly the 700-acre Budlong Pickle Farm around Foster and Western. Lyman A. Budlong opened his pickle factory there in 1857 and left a lasting mark, Keating says. Uh, That whole Budlong neighborhood is all very much tied into this old farming network that goes back to these Luxembourgers, the Germans, um, that are a part of this story on on the north side. But those Germans were also on the south side. One guy was Klaus Clausen. He had a farm in Gage Park near 51st and Western. And legend has it that sometime in the 1870s, Clausen had too many cukes. So he started pickling them. And the Clausens kept at it for a century before moving the operation to Woodstock, Illinois. And the business lasted well into the age of corny pickle commercials. So if you think a pickle is a pickle, is a pickle, think again. Think cold, crisp, Clausen. While Lyman Budlong focused on veg and pickles, his brother Joseph grew flowers in the same area around Winnemac Park. But his thousands of greenhouse carnations and roses were just a smidge of what made Chicago the nation's flower capital for decades. Here's my exchange with fifth-generation flower grower Red Kennicott. So back in, let's say, 1910, if you had a, a bouquet of roses or carnations on your table, what are the chances they would be locally grown? About 100%. <laughs> Chicago-grown flowers ended up on tables across the country. Kennecott said this happened because Chicago's railroads could get flowers anywhere fast. Also, there was a very inexpensive uh, source of fuel, which in those days was coal, to fire the, uh, the boilers of the local greenhouses. Plus, Chicago farmers already used greenhouses to extend the food growing season. Kennecott says a hundred years ago, greenhouses covered the northwest side in burbs. He fondly remembers the Rose Farms near Rosemont. Where O'Hare Field is today, there was a major rose growing greenhouse there. And so I remember as a kid actually uh, playing there. But Chicago's flower dominance began to wilt. Uh, Air transportation came along. And flowers could be grown more economically in places like Denver and especially in California. Kennecott says today most fresh flowers on Chicago tables come from South America. Time for one more crop that grew in Chicago. The city's longest-lasting ag export came out of Dutch farming communities on the south side. Keating says they started with produce but eventually specialized in... Onion sets are just an enormous part of the story. Onion sets are tiny onions used to grow the big varieties quickly. Dutch farmers in Roseland and South Holland dominated the onion set industry nationally well into the 1950s. Question asker Barb Carney's take on all this? The lifelong Chicagoan says she had no idea. All this stuff had been grown right under her feet. Amazed at how much was still going on up into the 50s and realizing that that really was a really big thing. Who knew? Not me, but I'll have a lot to think about when I sniff my next rose or chow down on a Chicago-style hot dog covered in onions, pickles, and celery salt. Reporting comes from me, Monica Eng. Curious City is supported by the Conant Family Foundation.
Next time on Curious City, paleteros, those pushcart vendors who sell ice cream popsicles, what they call paletas in Spanish. It looks like a simple enough job, but there's a trick to doing it well. You need to have the most popular flavors ready at your fingertips. You need to know what to charge. And it turns out, you need to know when you're on another paletero's turf. What it takes to sell ice cream as a paletero in Chicago. That's next time on WBEZ's Curious City. Before we start the show, we here at Curious City want to let you in on a little-known fact about WBEZ. 89% of all our funding comes from community support, including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org curious. Thank you.